today we start a new uh, series on uh, the doctrine of baptisms and it's, we're still on the foundation series as taught to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6 um, where there are six foundational doctrines that are taught to the body of Christ and um, these are foundational doctrines and these are doctrines that every believer should have a clear understanding of. Let's just open up by reading the two portions of scripture that pertain to these doctrines and then we'll take it on further from there and we start with Hebrews chapter 5 beginning at verse 12 scripture says for though by this time you ought to be teachers this is the writer um, to the, the church in Judea he's writing to the Hebrews and he says for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you yet again the first principles of the oracles of God and so these doctrines that we're looking at uh, over the series of teachings are the first principles of the oracles of God. Um, and it's interesting to note he's writing this uh, letter to the church, by and large, which is in Jerusalem. And that at the time that this letter was written, the church in Jerusalem was the oldest church in existence at that time because the church began in Jerusalem. And yet he says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, so you should have progressed by the, that far down your Christian walk by now, you should have matured to that degree, you need someone to uh, teach you yet again the first principles of the oracles of God. And so there's a bit of a rebuke to the church in Jerusalem about the fact that they had not yet matured spiritually, they were still babies in Christ. And he goes on, he says, you have come to need milk and not solid food. So this these doctrines that we deal with in these series of teachings is the milk of God's word. And this is uh, that which is easily um, digestible within the body of Christ uh, as an explanation. Because you know, to, to partake of milk is a lot easier to digest than solid food. In verse 13 he says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, now lists these uh, first principles of the oracles of God. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. So it's just another term that he uses, elementary principles of Christ, um, first principles of the oracles of God it's all the, the same thing um, let us go on to perfection or maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and so now he lists them the first one he lists is repentance from dead works and of faith toward God that's the second one and of the doctrine of baptisms that's the third one of laying on of hands that's the fourth of resurrection of the dead the fifth and of eternal judgment the sixth and so these are the six uh, elementary principles of Christ that every single believer should know and have a clear understanding of them. Because these are what the scripture refers to as being foundational um, doctrines. And if you don't have a strong foundation in your, your uh, belief as a believer, you will never have a, a, a strong Christian life because there will always be areas in your life that you're going to 
be a bit shaky on because you've not built a strong foundation in your walk as a Christian. And so it's very important for every believer as they come into the kingdom of God, these are the doctrines that should be taught to every newborn believer as they come into the kingdom of God. And it, these doctrines are, are quite extensive and um, they, you know, you can, the series on, on faith toward God, I, I've done the teaching, and it's over a series of 14 teachings, and that's an hour at a time. So it, these teachings are quite extensive, um, but it's vital that every single believer has a clear understanding of these teachings, and it can then progress from there, move on to maturity. He says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And so once the foundation is laid in, in our lives, uh, in our clear understanding of these doctrines, these foundations no longer have to be laid again. They're there, we can now build on them and we can move on to maturity and we can move on to perfection in Christ. But there is the other analogy about these doctrines and that is that they are the milk of, of God's word and he compares that to the solid food of God's word. Now, he's brought that into the natural by comparing the Word of God, these, these doctrines, to the milk of God's Word and other teachings uh, to the solid food of God's Word. And so he's done the analogy of uh, food that our physical bodies partake of. And so our physical bodies, when, even when we are mature uh, people and we become adults, we don't stop uh, taking milk as part of our natural diet. Um, milk still forms part of our natural diet, even though we've moved on to solid foods. Uh, we still, um, milk does form part of our natural diet in the physical. In the spirit realm, it's no different. And so once we have laid the foundation, it doesn't mean that, okay, now, well, that's it. We know these doctrines. We can now ignore them for the rest of our Christian walk. No, it is a good thing to always revisit uh, your foundational doctrines and the foundational truths just to make sure that you're always on track and that you're not uh, stepped out of um, these areas in any way. And so it is also good not only for newborn believers to have a clear understanding of each one of these doctrines, but it is also good for mature believers to once and again revisit these foundational doctrines to just reinforce uh, their foundation in Christ and their understanding of what it is that they should um, be believing. Because a doctrine is, is something whereby you can, that is what you base your faith on. That is how you behave from there on out because that is a doctrine that has been taught to you. And uh, there are many doctrines of men out there, but these are the doctrines of, of Christ and these are the doctrines that every single believer should have a clear understanding of. And so in this teaching, the series of teachings that we're going to be doing over the next uh, number of teachings is that we're going to be looking at the third out of these doctrines, which is the doctrine of baptisms. Um, and at the outset, we can go straight into the fact that there is more than one baptism because the, the Bible very plainly says and calls it the doctrine of baptisms, plural, not the doctrine of baptism singular and so there are more than one there is sorry there is more than one baptism that every believer uh, can partake of uh, in the body of christ not every believer does partake of each one of these baptisms and we'll have a look at that through the series of teachings 
However, every believer, they're available to every single believer out there. And it is up to the believer to then um, be obedient to Christ and partake of these baptisms and not only partake of them but then get a full understanding of them so that you can uh, reap the full benefit of each one of the baptisms and so there definitely are more there is more than one baptism and people say okay but then what about where in Ephesians chapter 4 Paul said that there's one Lord one faith and one baptism so that seems to contradict this doctrine, which says there is a doctrine of baptisms, plural. Um, it, it, it seems to contradict, but it doesn't contradict. And let me do, give you a, a, an example to, to kind of equate it. There's one Lord. There's one God. We serve one God. However, in that one God, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are separate personalities, individuals in their own right, and yet all three are one. And so we do serve one God. However, we serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, when we pray, we pray to God the Father in the name of God the Son through God the Holy Spirit. And that is how our Lord Jesus has, has taught us. And so, you know, you have to... It's a dual... Um, working together of the concept. They are, they are completely in unison. They, they, they are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. They cannot be separated. However, they are separate individuals. Remember our Lord Jesus said, My Father is greater than I. And so God the Father has preeminence. He is um, the creator of all things. But He never creates except through Jesus Christ our Lord, His Son. And he always creates by the Holy Spirit. And so the three of them are one, but separate nevertheless. And so with the baptisms as taught, in the new, uh, as taught to us in Scripture, um, there is one baptism. And that baptism is uh, the, we are baptized into Christ. However, there are three separate baptisms taught to us in the body of Christ, uh, in, the, in the Scriptures. And so that's the kind of way I can get it across to you. One God, three personalities in that one God. And that's where you, you get weird doctrine because you get the, um, the, the oneness doctrine. And they only believe in one God. They, they believe God the Father, uh, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is one person um, and not three separate people. However, the Bible does talk very plainly about the fact that they are three separate. And so... You get people that are so adamant about baptism that there is only one baptism and there's not three or, or more baptisms. Um, but the Bible does teach us that there are more, there is more than one baptism. And in fact, the Bible talks about, and I've, I've, I've hinted to it already, the Bible talks about the fact that there are three separate baptisms taught to us in Scripture. And... We're going to go through each one of those baptisms. Today we're going to concentrate on the first baptism, and then we'll, as the teachings go on, we'll then have a look at the other baptisms and uh, how they uh, fit into the Christian walk. But there are three baptisms, so let me just name the three baptisms. 
for you as we go through Scripture and we can identify each baptism separately as taught to us in Scripture. The first baptism that there is, is the baptism into Christ. Now this baptism, and we, we can look at uh, a scripture in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Um, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, writing to that, that church, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so every single believer partakes of this particular baptism, which is the baptism into Christ. So that's the first baptism that there is. And uh, we'll have a look at that baptism in a bit more detail as we go through this teaching. And then the next scripture we can look at is in Acts chapter 8, verse 38. And this, uh, the scripture says, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And so this is the account of Philip the evangelist preaching the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch uh, while he was on the way from Jerusalem back down to Ethiopia. Uh, the angel of the Lord had appeared to Philip and said, I want you to go to Gaza. It doesn't tell him why, it just says you need to go to Gaza. So he goes to Gaza and he's waiting there. While he's waiting there, uh, the, this particular chariot goes past and the Holy Spirit then says to Philip, go and join yourself to that chariot. And so Philip goes to the chariot and he hears this particular eunuch um, who is the, the minister of finance of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And he's been up in Jerusalem, he's been worshipping God, and now he's on his way back to Ethiopia. While he's on his way back, he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go and join yourself. So Philip goes up and he walks alongside the chariot and he hears this man speak, uh, reading the book of Isaiah. Obviously he's reading out loud. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, no, look, unless somebody explains it to me, how can I understand? And so Philip gets, uh, he, he invites Philip up into his chariot and to come and share with him. And so Philip comes up there, starts with the scripture where he was reading from Isaiah, and he begins to preach Christ to this, this man. Obviously, he was led by the Holy Spirit. God wanted that man saved. And so Philip preaches Christ to him. Uh, it gets to the point where the man now believes in Jesus Christ as being Lord and Savior. And he says to Philip, look, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And so Philip responds. He says, you may, if you believe with all your heart, and he, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so Philip takes him down into the water and he baptizes him in water. And so he was saved when he was in the chariot with Philip because uh, Philip preached the gospel to him. And he wants to now be baptized in water. And Philip says, no, no, you can't unless you, you can only be baptized in water if you believe with all your heart. And so he says, I do. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he believes with all his heart. He is born again at that instant. At that time, Philip then says, okay, let's go down into the water. He takes him down into the water and he baptizes him in water. We're going to have a look at water baptism in a little bit more detail as we get into the teachings. But there are many accounts in the book of Acts that are given to us of water baptism. And so it is another baptism taught to the body of Christ, which is the water baptism. So we've had a look at being baptized into Christ. That is uh, our first baptism that we encounter. The second one I've listed is water baptism. 
So not always the second one in, in sequence, but nevertheless, it is a second, a, another baptism. And it is a baptism that we need to partake of as believers. But as I say, we'll go into that particular baptism in a bit more detail in, a, in another teaching. And uh, then the third baptism that we want to have a look at, uh, just to identify that Scripture does reveal to us that there are three distinct baptisms taught to the body of Christ in the Bible. And so the next Scripture we want to look at is in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. And the Scripture says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so that's our Lord Jesus himself speaking to his disciples after he's been raised from the dead. They have all been born again because he appears to them. They believed on him and they were instantly born again. There was even the instant that evening in the upper room where he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So each one of these disciples are born again believers. But before our Lord ascends into heaven, um, because he appears to the disciples over a 40-day period uh, from the time of his resurrection until the time that he, is, uh, he finally goes up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And from there he's waiting until the Father makes all of his enemies his footstool and then he will return to the earth and reign on the earth for the millennium reign. Um, so over this 40-day period, our Lord has appeared to the disciples over numerous occasions um, but they have not yet been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. For our Lord says to them uh, at this stage, and as I say, each one of them are born again already. And they've been conversing with the Lord on numerous occasions in this 40-day period. And he says, our Lord says, For John truly baptized with water, referring to John the Baptist, but you, talking to his disciples, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they had not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit, even though they had been born again. All right. And the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to take place on the day of Pentecost. Now, between Passover and Pentecost, there is the 50 day uh, lapse of time. That's how God's calendar works. And so in within that 50 day period, the first 40 days, our Lord was appearing to the disciples and teaching them about the things of the kingdom of God. One of the things he taught them was the fact that there is a, a baptism in the Holy Spirit that they have still got to experience. And that baptism took place on the day of Pentecost. And again, that particular baptism, we'll have a look at it in a bit more detail as we go through this series of teachings. But there's the uh, scriptural evidence for you of the fact that there are three distinct baptisms taught to us in the in the in the in the, the scriptures first is baptism into Christ then there's water baptism and then there's baptism in the holy spirit and each one of those baptisms is a separate event in the life of the believer and each one of those baptisms fulfills a different role in the life of the believer and no believer will ever reach full maturity in Christ will reach their full potential in Christ. You must understand that when we, once we're born again, we're saved. We are destined. We've been given eternal life. 
we're destined to spend eternity with God in heaven. Well, not in heaven because we'll be in heaven in the interim until God creates a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem comes down to the earth and we will dwell there in the new Jerusalem on God's new earth for all eternity with him. And so our salvation is assured up until up to a point because you can lose your salvation we don't want to go down that road today that's another teaching completely however your for those who endure to the end they shall be saved and so if you from the time you come into the kingdom of god you remain faithful to the lord you never deny him until the time you leave the planet in other words you you depart to be with christ uh, you are saved and your salvation is assured however God doesn't save us and then say, okay, now you're my child, I'm going to just take you home because I've saved you, there's nothing more I can do for you. I'd rather come up and be in heaven. And besides that, heaven is a far better place than down here. There's no, there's no uh, people, you know, really strive to stay down here. But really, if, if, you, if you caught a glimpse of what heaven is like, and God said, You've got, now I've given you the choice. Do you want to stay down here for a while or can I bring you up to here? Without a doubt, 100% of every believer would say, no ways, I'm, I'm out of here. I want to be with you in heaven. And so each one, Paul said, it is far better to be with Christ than to be uh, on, the, on the planet. And he'd been up to heaven a couple of times. The Lord had taken him up there. So he had first-hand experience. He knew what he was talking about. And so nobody wants to uh, be on the earth once they've seen what heaven is really like. Um, but that is ne never the, uh, the Father's uh, will for our lives, that we get saved and then, you know, our next thing is to be in heaven. He has a plan for each one of our lives on the earth. And it is up to us to then fulfill his plan for our lives. The Bible talks about the fact that he has prepared good works before the foundation of the world for us to walk in them. And so it's up to us to then seek his will and fulfill his will for our lives and then leave the planet and go to be with him in all eternity. But the reason that he gives us this, this, this time period on earth, and it's a very short time period, even if you get to know the Lord when you're a young, young child and you live to 100 years old, that time period is still uh, an absolute brief interim in, with regards to eternity. In that period that we are given from the time we are born again until the time that the Lord takes us to be with him, we have now opportunity to do works that are going to last for all eternity, to bear fruit for all eternity. For that is where our rewards uh, kick in. And that's where the eternal judgment doctrine kicks in. Um, and that's why we need to understand all of these doctrines. Because if you understand that you have a purpose here on the earth as a Christian, and God has given you uh, a mandate of what He expects you to do, and you're going to be evaluated on that day. Each one of us will be evaluated by God, our Lord Jesus Christ, or we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, as to what we did with our lives on the earth, did we do what he asked us to do? Or were we disobedient and we didn't? And so our, our eternal rewards are based on this interim period that we're going to live in that we do live in once we come into the kingdom of God. But the point that I wanted to get across here is that and th these three baptisms um, are essential for us to um, 
reach full maturity, reach our full potential in Christ. God didn't put these baptisms in place because he felt like it, because, you know, they're going to be down there for a while, so let's give them something to do. So, we'll, you know, we'll come up with water baptism, we'll come up with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just something that, you know, they can do, or they don't have to do if they don't want to. It, it, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. That's not the case at all. God has put these baptisms in place very specifically for us as our stepping stones, so to speak, of uh, obedience to the Lord. And as we obey the Lord, once we, these uh, baptisms, and I'm only talking about the doctrine of baptisms in these teachings. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's available, that's applicable for the Christian walk, but we're focusing on the baptisms for now. But we need to experience each one of them. Um, and, you know, before we came to the kingdom of God, we were called sons of disobedience. And that is what the world is. The Bible refers to the unbelievers as sons of disobedience. And each one of us fell into that category before we were saved. Now we are sons of obedience. And as sons of obedience, when we are taught uh, certain doctrines in the, in, the, in the scriptures, then God expects us to obey him and to uh, do that which he tells us to do. Our Lord says it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And so God expects us to do that which he says. And so there are three baptisms taught to us in Scripture, and every believer should partake of each one of them, and every believer should have an understanding of each one of them as to what each baptism uh, does for us um, in how it transforms us so that we can walk in that which God has in fact um, predestined each one of us to walk in. And so we're going to today look at the first baptism, which is baptism into Christ. That is the one that we just had a look at in Galatians um, chapter 3, verse 27 again, for he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so this particular baptism, everybody in the Christian uh, faith partakes of by default for we cannot be born again unless we are baptized into Christ but when you get saved and somebody says you know you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior nobody says to us you need to be baptized into Christ you need to be immersed into Christ we just know that we need to respond to this gospel message that I am a sinner and if I continue on my current path I'm going to land up in hell. But here's an, here's, here's an opportunity for me to go to heaven in that this Savior is being presented to me in, uh, in the form of Jesus Christ. And He has died for my sins. And if I believe that, and I believe He's been raised from the dead, um, and I confess Him as my Lord, I can be saved. And so that I take that route, and I, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I don't understand anything about being baptized into Christ at that time because I'm just coming into the kingdom. My spiritual things are still very indistinct to me. You know, our Lord's mandate to Paul was that he was to uh, turn people from, from darkness to light, to open their eyes, uh, from the, uh, turning from the uh, power of, of Satan to God. And so 
when we're in the world, we're completely spiritually blind. We don't understand anything about the, the gospel. All that is revealed to us at that time is that we need to accept Jesus as Lord. And so that's what we see and we respond to that. Now, when we do, when we, when we are born again at that instant, when we're saved, we are born again. When we are born again, at that instant, we are baptized into Christ. And that is something that God does of His own. It is not something that we uh, have to acknowledge or we have to have knowledge of in order to partake of it. It is an, uh, an automatic, it's not the right word to use, but it, you can use it. It is an automatic baptism that takes place. When we are born again, we are baptized into Christ and it is only after we are born again and we we start being taught the word of God and start to have an under, a, a more deeper understanding of the word of God that we then begin to understand oh so that's what happened when I when I got born again I was in fact baptized into Christ and that is the ongoing revelation that comes into uh, the, the Christian's mind as we grow in the Lord. And so this baptism is obviously, of the three, because we've mentioned the three, baptized into Christ, baptized into water, and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Of the three, obviously, this is the most important baptism, because without this one, you cannot experience the other two. Nobody can be baptized in water until they are born again. Uh, you have, um, in some denominations, you have uh, people, uh, people are, are sprinkled, they sprinkle babies, and they call that baptism in water, and uh, confirmation services, and they call that baptism in the Holy Spirit and things like that. But none of that is, is true, because you can only experience the other two baptisms, the baptism in water and the, with the Holy Spirit, once you have been baptized into Christ. The qualification in order to partake of the other two baptisms is you have to be born again. You have to accept, have, have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, you cannot partake of water baptism and then get saved uh, a, a week later. It doesn't work that way. It has to go the other way around. Remember what Philip said to the eunuch? He said, uh, you may be baptized in water if you believe with all your heart. And he said, I do. And you will look at the scriptural accounts and you can see that that is the sequence of events. But again, as I say, not always is it water baptism, then Holy Spirit baptism. Um, sometimes it is Holy Spirit baptism and then water baptism. But the very first baptism that everybody, every believer must partake of before they qualify for the other two is to be baptized into Christ. And that is... Uh, an automatic baptism that does take place in our lives once we have accepted Christ Jesus as our Lord. So what does it mean to be baptized into Christ? What, is this, what does this term actually mean? For we read it in Galatians. Uh, let's just look at it again, Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ... That's, you were saved, you were born again, you were baptized into Christ. What does it mean? He says, have put on Christ. And so he kind of, it, it, it gives us a bit of an explanation as to what it means to be baptized into Christ. Under the Old Covenant, the, the, the term 
baptism was not taught. There was no, there's no scriptural uh, account given to us under the Old Covenant where the Jews were taught to baptize. The first time we see a account of being, people being baptized, now it was a practice amongst uh, the Jews for certain aspects, but it wasn't, there's no scripture for it. The first time we see scripture speaking about baptism is when John the Baptist is, is, comes on the scene. And he's given a mandate by God the Father to baptize the Jewish people in preparation for the coming Messiah. And that is his mandate. And so he um, will guide the Father through, through God, through uh, John the Baptist, introduces this concept of baptism to us in Scripture. We see it for the very first time under John's ministry. Now, when John baptized individuals, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And he would fully immerse the individuals in water, and then they would be raised out of the water. And so that's what the term baptism actually means. It means to be fully immersed. And so that is what happened. That's what, what transpired when John baptized. Now, John baptized with, uh, for repentance, uh, for remission of sins, in preparation for the coming Messiah. Okay, for forgiveness of sins, not remission of sins, sorry, uh, in preparation for their the coming Messiah. And so all the Jews understood what that baptism meant. Um, but it's not the same water because people also get confused between John's baptism and the water baptism experienced by believers once they're born again. And I don't really want to get into any depth on it because we will touch on it in more detail when we discuss water baptism later on. But the two are kind of... John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for remission of sins in preparation for the coming of Messiah. So the Jews were, were kind of cleaning themselves, purifying themselves. And it's one of the things that the priests had to do in when they went to uh, make offerings in the temple. They had to first wash themselves in water, and then they would make uh, do the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. And so it was a type of, of cleansing. And that's what that baptism was all about. And the Jews understood that this was a, a cleansing in preparation for the Messiah that was going to be revealed. And that's how they were preparing their hearts in, you know, through this water baptism uh, for the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. However, the water baptism that we partake of as believers is indicative of our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, they, the Jews under John's ministry couldn't identify with that because that hadn't happened. Nobody, they, nobody even knew that Jesus was going to die and be raised from the dead. Their concept of the coming Messiah was that he was going to come reign on the earth and he was going to set up his reign on the earth and they were going to now reign with him uh, for all eternity. And that's what the, the current Jews baptized the Jews um, to, to prepare them for their coming Messiah. And as I was saying, the Jews, even today, they look forward to the coming Messiah who will come and set up his reign on the earth. The Jews who, to whom the gospel is hidden, which is the vast majority of them, only understand a coming Messiah as coming to reign on the earth. They don't understand the concept of a Messiah coming to die for their sin. That's not something that they understand. Um, and so when these Jews were being baptized by John the Baptist, 
they were anticipating that the Messiah was going to appear and they needed to uh, purify their, their lives in order to receive him because now they were going to reign with him for all eternity. But that's not what the, their baptism was all It was pretty much to prepare them, but they, did, they, they missed the, the boat. They didn't understand uh, the, the ministry of Jesus. We obviously, in hindsight, do understand it. But baptism means to be fully immersed, and that's what John did, and that is how we need to understand the concept of baptism. It means to be fully immersed in. And so to be baptized into Christ means that we are fully immersed into Christ. Um, and Christ is in us. Let's just go back and have a look at that scripture because he gives us a, a little bit more insight. He says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so that's just another way of explaining you've been immersed into Christ. You have put on, we have put on Christ. Now think about an item of clothing, um, and especially like a cloak for argument's sake, as an item of clothing, which is what they wore uh, in, the, in those days and what they wear in heaven today anyway. Um, once you put on this item of clothing, people who are around you, when they look at you, can only see that item of clothing. They can't see the body that's inside the clothing. They see the outward cloak. And that's really the concept of being baptized into Christ, is that all that people should be seeing once we have been baptized into Christ is they should be seeing Christ, for we put Christ on. And so we should be displaying Christ in our lives. And that is what it means to be baptized into, into Christ. So everybody who's been born again has been fully immersed into Christ and we have put on Christ um, not as an item of clothing but we put Christ up on Christ and so that is who we in fact are we are Christ and we'll get into that teaching a little bit more um, as we go on but everybody who looks at the believer once they come into the kingdom of God should see more and more of Christ in the believer because this believer is now fully immersed in Christ and has put on Christ. And so it is expected, they don't understand it, okay? But this is what God's intention is, is that we as believers reflect more and more of Christ through our lives because we are now fully immersed in Christ and we have indeed put Christ on. Let's have a look at another scripture which just kind of reinforces this concept, which is in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul um, wanted to explain to the believers what it means to be in Christ and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And now look at his comments here. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's, now he's been immersed into Christ and Christ is now living in him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul is saying here, it is no longer I who live. When you look at me, you're not seeing Paul living. You're seeing Christ living in me. And that is the degree of um, change that should take place in the believer's life for one who has been baptized into Christ, which is, in fact, every born-again believer. Because we have been fully immersed into Christ, we are in Christ, and it is Christ in us. We have become one with him. We put on Christ. And so we need to 
meditate on this particular truth. This truth is, you know, we, we know it, you know, we've heard it, but nobody, we don't really uh, partake of it. For This is the transformation process that needs to take place in all believers' lives, in that we need to become more Christ-like. For the Bible talks about the fact that God has predestined each one of us to be conformed into the image of His Son. And so that is the will of the Father. It is the will of the Father that each one of us become like Jesus. That is God's goal for every single one of us. It is never His, his intention that we should come up short, that we should miss the mark, that we should not reach our full potential in Christ. It is, it is always the, the intention of God the Father that we become just like Christ. And so what he does is he immerses us into his son and his son lives through us. Jesus, it is no longer Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so each one of us um, need to have that understanding that when I, when I was born again, I was fully immersed into Christ and I've never been taken out. I don't get removed from Christ. I abide in Christ. He abides in me. And that leads me to the next scripture that we want to look at, which is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. And that scripture says, He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And so being immersed into Christ, being baptized into Christ, putting on Christ, is one and the same as, as saying, we abide in Christ. And, and John says it, he who, he who says he abides in him. And so we abide in Christ because we've been baptized. We've been fully immersed into Christ. We've been, we put Christ on. There's a, there's, a, there's a consequence for that happening. And that's what the consequence is. John says, ought himself also to walk as he walked. Why is that? Because it's Christ. Because as Paul said, it's no longer I who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. And so I take on the very nature of Christ. All you see when you look at me is you see Christ. For I put Christ on. And so as Christ is, so am I. The Bible teaches us that. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. Not as he is, so will we be when we get to heaven. No, as he is, so are we in this world. And everybody says, yeah, but that's talking about our spirit, which is right. That's exactly the case. It does talk about our spirit. But we're called to also walk in the spirit. So our life is in the spirit, for we are born again. That's our spirit man is born again. But you go through the scriptures, the Bible t tells us, in talking about the New Testament epistles, again and again, that we need to walk in the Spirit. So it's one thing to be born of the Spirit, but it is something else entirely different to actually walk in the Spirit. And so when we are walking in the Spirit, we're walking in Christ, because I'm in spiritually, I'm one Spirit with the Lord. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, the Bible teaches us. And so we are one spirit with the Lord. And as we walk in the spirit, which is fully immersed in Christ, so the nature of Christ then becomes to uh, be made manifest through me. And that's not an automatic process that just happens overnight. That is a process that takes time uh, over a period of time. And it's not us. We can't do it. 
It is impossible. I say this many times. The Christian walk is an impossible walk. It cannot be done. If it could be done, we did not need Jesus. We can do it without him. But it is an impossible walk. We need Jesus. We need him not only as our Savior in, in giving unto us eternal life, but in order to walk this Christian walk, we need Jesus to walk it in us and through us by his ability. Get back to Paul. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And he who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. And so that's the benchmark that John puts forward to us. He says, you guys abide in Christ. You say you abide in Christ. Okay, well, if you do abide in Christ, then show me the evidence of that. Because you should be walking then as he walked. Because he's not going to walk any different. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same Jesus that walked on the earth when he was on the earth 2,000 years ago and showed us the way by saying, I am the way, um, and gave us as an example, that's why the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We should always look unto Jesus. Jesus is our example, our benchmark. Jesus is who we should all aspire to be like for. It is God the Father's will that we be like him. For the Bible says he has predestined each one of us to be conformed to the image of his son. And as he is, so are we in this life, in this world. And so it is God who in fact, in, in fact does the transforming in our lives. Because as I said, the, the scripture says, we should walk as he walked. I can only walk as Jesus walked if he does it through me. I have no ability to do it, walk like Jesus walked. I can't, uh, Jesus never sinned. I can't not sin unless Jesus doesn't sin through me. And I give myself completely over to him. And then I can and we're not touching on sin in this teaching today, but Jesus never sinned. And so if you're going to walk as he walked, you're not going to sin either. That, that sounds like a, a heavy teaching, but that's in fact the, the reality of it. That's the truth of it. Um, and we'll have a whole teaching along that line. But that is, that again, that is the benchmark. That is what we should be aspiring to. Now we can't of our own say, okay, well I'm going to now uh, stop sinning. I, I, I'm going to be a good person from here on out because Jesus was a good person, so I'm going to be a good person. No, we can't do that. It is Jesus in me that is going to be the good person. And so that is, we walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so we need to meditate upon this truth revealed to us in the Word of God, that we have been, each believer has been baptized, fully immersed into Christ. We have put Christ on. It is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And because we abide in Christ, we ought to walk even as He walked. It, the Bible wouldn't say you ought to walk even as He walked and like put it out there to try and tease us. No, the Bible is trying to tell us you have that potential. Why? Because it is Christ in you who can do it. Because he did it before and he can do it through you again. It's not a, it's not a big thing for Christ to live as he is through you. The hindrance is us allowing him to live through us in the spirit. Why is there a hindrance? Because we need to learn to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are two are contrary to each other. 
and they will never be reconciled. So the Bible teaches us how to deal with the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit and to allow Christ to be made manifest through us. Let's have a look at another scripture that, again, just reinforces this truth to us, because this is a very important truth for you to learn as a, as a new believer or even as a mature believer, because it's not a, a truth that is taught very often. But that is that we each one of us have the potential to be just as Jesus is and walk as he walked, but not because of anything of our own, that we have this um, magical power that we can do it. No, because His transforming power works in us to conform us to His image. The scripture I want to look at is in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. Um, Paul speaking again, and he's talking about, and Paul was given more revelation of, the, of, of scripture than any other apostle. So much so that uh, Satan was allowed to attach uh, uh, one of his angels to Paul full-time to be a thorn in his flesh. And the reason that that happened, Paul says, is because of the abundance of revelation that God had given him. So Paul had a huge amount of revelation on the Word of God and God, what, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's purposes uh, that he wanted to bring out through uh, Jesus Christ. And so he makes, uh, he reveals to us part of his understanding of the gospel in this passage of scripture. He says, to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery of the gospel is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is all about Christ in us and us being in Christ. That is where the hope of glory is made manifest. That is where Christ is glorified. Christ received glory when we walk as he walked. He doesn't receive glory in any other way. There's not, no, no matter good works I can do in and of myself brings glory to, the, to, to our Lord Jesus Christ. What brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ is allowing him to make himself manifest through me, through my life, and let him and walk in, in him and allow him to walk in me. And so the mystery that was of the gospel that was revealed to Paul is that it is Christ who dwells in us. And so it is the will of the Father for each one of us to be transformed into the image of his Son. And he does this by faith. In other words, we believe it and he does it. That is what he requires of us. We are required to believe this. For the just shall live by faith. And so as you meditate upon this truth that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who is living in me, and confess that over your life, and begin to act as if it is Christ living in you, you will find that God the Father does in fact transform your life, and you will become more like Jesus with each and every passing day. Let's have a look at a scripture that would help us to understand this concept as to how God the Father does the transformation in our lives. And that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Um, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, well, the Holy Spirit through Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, but we all with unveiled face. Okay, now let's just stop there. With unveiled face. He's, he's alluding to Moses. When Moses... Uh, went up uh, up into the mountain of um, Mount Sinai to receive the law. He was up there for a period of 80 days, two, two stints of 40 days each. 
after the period, the, the second stint, when he comes down, he has spent so much time in the presence of God um, that his, his, his body and his face reflects the glory of God. His, his, his physical body has changed. He hasn't received eternal life. He's, he doesn't have a resurrected body because at the end of Moses' life he dies and his body is buried by an angel, by the way. And there was a huge dispute going on between the angel and Satan because Satan actually wanted to have access to Moses' body. So Moses' body was very special. Because of the transformation that had taken place when Moses had spent that amount of time in the presence of God, he, the, the glory of God in reflection was shining from his face to that degree that the children of Israel could no longer look at him because it hurt their eyes. And so what Moses had to do when he spoke to the children of Israel, he had to put a veil over his face because that's the only way he could communicate with them because they couldn't look at him anymore. Um, and so Paul is alluding to how Moses' uh, face reflected the glory of God. But he says with us under the new covenant, he says, but we all with unveiled face. So the veil's taken away in Christ. We know that. Beholding. Now look how we behold. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is what is happening now on this earth. Okay, It is not something that's going to happen when we get to heaven. This is happening right now. Present tense are being transformed. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, our being, our being, not will be, but our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So from glory to glory means there's a progressive change that takes place in our lives. But how does that change take place? Well, he says, unveil face. Now we know that the veil is taken away in Christ. Behold him as in a mirror. What do you look at when you look in the mirror? You look at your reflection. You don't see something else. You see a reflection of yourself. And so what he's saying, you should be seeing Christ when you look in this mirror because that is the true reflection that you're looking at. And it's Christ in you. So we don't look at Christ as standing in front of us. We look at Christ in us because we're looking into a mirror. So I'm looking at the reflection of myself and that, that reflection is Christ. I'm seeing Christ. How do I do that? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So it's His glory. Who is the glory of the Lord? Jesus is the glory of the, of the Father. Um, the Bible talks about woman is the glory of the man, and man is the glory of Christ, and Christ is the glory of God. And so the glory of the Lord is Christ in us. And so how do we look at in the, this mirror? How do we behold in this mirror? Well, James talks about that we look into the perfect law of liberty, the mirror of the Word of God. And so when we look at the Word of God and we look at Christ in the Word of God, we're in fact seeing who we are. For who Christ is, is who we are. The Bible talks, and I've quoted the scripture already, as He is now, present tense, so are we now, present tense, in this world, okay, where we are right now, on this planet, not when we get to heaven, in this world. And so as we look at the Word of God and we see who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, what happens then 
is look at the rest of the scripture are being transformed into that same image the image of Christ from glory to glory so it's progressive transformation that's taking place just as by the Spirit of the Lord so it is the Spirit of God in us who is transforming us but we have to respond by looking at it in faith and believing it and as we believe it and confess it what we see in the in written in the Word of God when we look into the mirror of his word um, the Holy Spirit can then take that and begin to transform us and we become more like Christ. We, we start walking in His love, in His patience, in His peace, in His wisdom, in everything that He is. As He is, so are we in this world. And we, each one of us, have that potential. But we, it won't happen unless we are looking in the mirror. But we all with unveiled face, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 again, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the, uh, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. And so we have to give ourselves time. And to the amount of time that you give yourself to, to looking in that mirror, the mirror of his word, and meditating upon, and I'm talking about specifically this aspect of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us then we can attach our faith to that. Then we can, um, in faith, confess that, believe that, and act upon that. And as we do, the Holy Spirit takes that, and He does the miracle of the transformation. God does the miracle of the new birth when we come into the kingdom. But now the Holy Spirit is the one who's transforming us from glory to glory, even into the image of His glory. And that image is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is what being baptized into Christ is really all about. We come into Christ, we're fully immersed into Christ. Now what needs to take place is we need to be transformed from glory to glory each and every passing day. Every day you should be more like Christ than you were the day before. You should never stagnate and you certainly shouldn't backslide. And so we, every one of us, every single day we, when, when, when people look at you they should be hearing and seeing more of Christ in you than they saw the day before or heard the day before because the Holy Spirit in you is transforming you from glory to glory even to the image and that's what the Holy Spirit does that's, he delights to do that because that is the will of the Father and when, once you are set on that path you will see your life being transformed you will see yourself um, no longer losing your temper. You will see yourself no longer um, saying words that are, are, of course, jesting. You will see yourself no longer being foolish in, in, in certain aspects of life. You will see yourself walking even as he walked. Remember John said, he who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. And so that is the potential that is available to every believer for we have been baptized into Christ. And just to bring it out one more time on this particular aspect, I want to have a look at the scripture um, and then just comment on it to just again highlight the fact that we, it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And that is in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. The scripture says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And so Saul had, background is Saul had uh, been converted in Damascus, gone into Arabia, a revelation of the gospel, came back to Damascus, preached. They tried to kill him. He moved to Jerusalem, was there for a couple of weeks. They tried to kill him there, and he then went to Tarsus. And he is, we hear no more of Paul from that time he left Jerusalem until now when Barnabas goes to fetch Saul out of Tarsus. 
Saul has been out there in Tarsus preaching the gospel, but we don't hear anything about it. No, there's no account given to us in Scripture about that. So Paul, now Saul, comes back with Barnabas to the church at Antioch. Because uh, Barnabas, the Holy Spirit led Barnabas, I want you to go get Saul and let him come join you in Antioch. So the scripture says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now this is the important part of scripture I want you to hear. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so up until the time that Paul comes to Antioch to preach, and he's there for a whole year with Barnabas and a few other prophets and teachers, and they teach the church at Antioch. Before that time, the church has not ever been called Christians. They've been called followers of the way. They've been called the sect of the Nazarenes. They've been called all sorts of uh, terminology, disciples. But nobody has ever called them a Christian. This is the very first time that the term Christian is applied to the believer. Now, why is that? The reason is very simple. It was because Paul came on the scene and Paul started to teach the gospel as revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Paul, if you go compare the two, script, the two gospels, because the Bible talks about the fact that uh, Peter was appointed uh, to preach the gospel um, to the Jews, and Paul was appointed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And there, are, there is a subtle difference between the two gospels. We won't touch on that right now. But by and large, nearly 100%, the two gospels are exactly, exactly the same. It's just that the Jews are able to worship God by observing the law, whereas the Gentiles don't do that. We don't get involved with the law at all. Um, but the Jews can do that. The, the Jews for Jesus, they still observe the feasts and that kind of stuff. And the, 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 the Jews in the book of Acts, they also used to observe the feasts, things like that. So that's the difference between the two, really. But the two Gospels, as taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, because both apostles received their Gospels directly from Jesus. Um, he taught them through his Holy Spirit and also in, his, in appearing to them himself. Um, if you go compare the two Gospels, they're identical. There's, there's no difference between the two. However, the one Apostle uh, emphasizes one aspect that the other Apostle doesn't. And it's purely because of the revelation given to him, as we read in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1. I think it was 1, or th chapter 3. Um, and that is being in Christ. If you look at Peter's writing to the church, and I understand that Peter only had uh, two epistles, whereas Paul has a whole bunch of epistles, because the, the letters are really written to the Gentile church, because the, it's the Gentile age right now. Um, Peter mentions in Christ, the term in Christ, twice in his letters. Paul, in his letters, mentions it 82 times. And so Paul has a huge understanding of this concept of us being in Christ and Christ in us, being baptized into Christ, being fully immersed into Christ and having Christ living in us. And so he teaches it with such a, a degree of accuracy and such an emphasis that under his teaching, people begin to recognize that they were in fact little Christs, for that's what the term Christian means, little Christ. And so that's when the revelation comes into the church that, okay, we're actually little Christs. 
It is no longer we who are living, it is Christ who is living in us. We have put on Christ, we have been fully immersed into Christ. And so it is Christ who has been made manifest through me from glory to glory. I'm being transformed into the image of Christ. Because as He is, so am I in this world. So I have the full potential to walk even as He walked. And so that is what Paul taught and emphasized. And he taught it so much that the term gets accepted by the church. So much so that Peter, in his epistles, quotes being a Christian. He, Peter never taught that. No, that was not revelation given to him by the Holy Spirit. Paul taught it, and Peter picked up on it. And so the, the point that I wanted to get across here is that that is the essence of the being, of this doctrine of being baptized into Christ, is that we have put on Christ and that we have been immersed into Christ and that it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And we should expect, by faith, to become more like Christ each and every passing day. You should not be less like Christ than you were the day before. You should always be more. And so that is why it's been transformed from glory to glory. But it's by the Spirit of the Lord. It automatically happens. It does. Because as you, by faith, believe it, confess it, and act upon it, the Holy Spirit does it. And you automatically, you don't think to yourself, well, I better stop doing this. It, it, they are, the Holy Spirit does say, kind of hint to you and say, you know, that's not what we do anymore. Um, and so, but it's very easy for you to do the change then because it's not now I have to force myself. It's just because it's now my natural because that's me in the Spirit, Jesus, doing it. I can walk as He walked because it's no longer me who lives, but it's Him living in me. And so that is the first uh, baptism, being baptized into Christ. And we'll look at the other baptisms um, through the rest. But there's still another aspect with regards to being baptized into Christ that I still want to look at. And we'll look at that in the next teaching. But that's where we're going to stop on our teaching for today.